We're in the last week of this series that we've been calling Love Like Jesus. And I've enjoyed this series. It's kind of been some fresh sermons. Hold on one second. I've got to turn this fan off or it's going to blow my mic nonstop and drive you crazy. It's good hard, it's hard to find good help nowadays. Guy back there's got one job. Bring the stool out and turn the fan off. And man, you get the teenagers, man. They can't do nothing, right? I got to get them off his phone every time and be like, hey, you know this is the last song, right? I know his parents, so someone's going to start slapping him. So you're a pastor. You'd slap kids. Yeah, in the name of Jesus. I think this is going to be one of those messages. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles. But it's going to be one of those messages that over time, if you look back at it, and you apply the principles that we're talking about today, it'll literally change your life. You know, I've preached many, many times on the subject or the roundabout way on the subject of why did Jesus come? Why did God send his only son to earth? And we've talked about that and we know that here and we know the fact that Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the fullest. We we know that Jesus didn't come for the righteous but he came for sinners. He, He came to give his life as a sacrifice, as a ransom for our sins. We know that Jesus came Not to be served, but to serve others. We know the why of why Jesus came to earth. If there's any church that knows that, it's this church. Because we are a broken record. We make no bones about it. We're church for those that don't do church. Everything we do is for outsiders and not insiders. We do everything we can to create an environment for those that have maybe been burned out on church, given up on church, man, don't totally understand the Jesus thing where they can come and feel comfortable. We're not a church. And, I, and, and I, this is in no way talking bad about other churches. I, every church has its purpose. We've just never been that church that's going to be full of programs and Sunday school and small groups and this and that. We do Sunday morning service. We create environments for those that don't do church, and then we go out in our community and serve. That's what we do. We keep it very, very simple right here. So this church knows why Jesus came. But I don't know that we've ever talked about how Jesus came. We know the why, but we do, we know the how. How did he come? When he was here on earth, What was his M.O.? What was the way he went about proceeding in life to fulfill the mission that God had sent him here for? And we could argue that he came preaching and teaching and healing. And of course, he did all those things, and you'd be right. But I want to show you another way that I believe Jesus came as far as how he came. And I believe it exemplifies how we're to love like Jesus. The Bible says this in Luke 7, 14. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton. Here's a drunkard. Here's a friend of tax collectors. Here's a friend of sinners. He came to heal. He came healing. He came preaching. He came teaching. But Jesus came doing life with other people. He, he, he was so caught up in community and eating and drinking and hanging out with people that the, actually those that were critics of him actually criticized him. Look at him. All he does is hang out and eat all the time. He's a glutton. 
Look at him. All he does is sing out and drunk. He's a, he, he, he's a drunkard. Look at the type of people that he hangs out with. He hangs out with the tax collectors and the sinners. It, it, it's amazing how much time Jesus spent simply sharing a meal and doing life with other people. We're in a series, like I said, called Love Like Jesus. We've talked about that Jesus loved the unlovable. Over this series, we've talked about the fact that Jesus forgave those that hurt him and wronged him. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus served others. He got down on his hands and his knees, and he, he washed their feet. Even Judas, who was about to betray him, and Jesus served and today I want to talk about the fact that Jesus did life with others. Jesus spent a large portion of his life breaking bread with other people. We know the why of how Jesus come, came. The how of how Jesus came was breaking bread. It's funny, when I was in Bible college, I actually had a class called Mills of the New Testament. It was an entire class talking about all the times in the New Testament that people sat down, they gathered around a table, and they shared a meal together. It was a whole class talking about all the times that people just broke bread and the significance of that act. It's an odd thought to think about because the meal, the breaking of the bread with people is not something we do very often in our society anymore. I mean, even in my and Christine's own life, when we first got married, almost every single night, she cooked a meal or I grilled something and we sat down as a family and we ate a meal together. Five years later, life happens. We have older kids now. We have a kid that has to go to work. We have a kid that's involved in drama. We have a kid that's involved in baseball. We have a kid that's involved in band. And I can't tell you how many times, because life happens, it's like, hey, I'll feed the kids this. You go through the drive-thru and grab that. And, of course, Christine, she's a fitness. She's like, I'll drink a shake. And then she quit doing this. Do you just want a shake? No. I want a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Extra large fries. And a sweet tea with extra sugar. I want a, sh a shake. But it's like a meal replacement. Good, I'll have that for dessert. Can you throw some more chocolate syrup in it? Some peanut butter in it? Hey, and I know bananas healthy. Throw that in there, too. But it's funny, man. Like, milk used to be a big thing for us. I mean, like, it was the non-negotiable in our family. We sat down, and we shared a meal together. But life happens. And now we're running all over the place. And the family meal, while we still do it several times a week, has just become less and less because life happens. But in what I learned in this class, as you go back, you'll see that in this time in the New Testament, there was something almost supernatural about sharing a meal together. It was more than just sitting down and enjoying food. It was about sitting down and enjoying community. They would sit down and share a meal. Now, how many of you have ever been out to eat with me? I'm good for about 10 minutes. I'm just being honest with you. 
My food will literally be gone in five minutes. And then about five minutes into the conversation, Phil calls it, Gary zoned out. I don't mean to zone out, but I zone out. I stare off into the distance, and I check out of the conversation. Christine gets mad. She goes, we'll go on a date. She goes, we can't even sit and enjoy a meal that doesn't last. She goes, we'll go to a nice restaurant. We're in and out in 20 minutes. Like, they come to get our drink. I'm like, can we go ahead and order? I know what I want. Can you just bring that out? Check, please. She's like, you know, we could have a couple of drinks. Oh, okay. Like, I don't, I, I. But in the New Testament, it was something, a meal was something that would last for hours. They would sit down and they would fellowship with each other. They would unwind from the stress of the life and work. They would pull out the best and they would just sit around the table and they would literally break bread and communicate with each other. They would laugh and cry and share their struggles and share their ambitions. And there was something supernatural about the breaking of bread in the biblical times. The people of the day literally believed that you experienced God's love while sharing a meal together. They believed that you could experience God's best, especially in the context of community, sitting around a table, sharing a meal, and doing life together. I mean, Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, the night before he would get brought before and be crucified, he's literally sitting at a table in an upper room with his best friends and the person that would soon betray him, and they're breaking bread, drinking wine, teaching lessons to them around the table. I love one of my favorite portions of Scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 2, and preachers preach this, and I've preached on it a million times. It's kind of what we consider the formation of the local church. We're a local church, and this is kind of where it all got started. And the Bible says this about them. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Leave that up there, Xander. They made a decision to make these things important. It wasn't something that just happened It was a priority to them. They devoted themselves. Like some people devote themselves to their job. Some people devote themselves to their hobby. Some people devote themselves to working out. Some people devote themselves to golf. Some people devote themselves to hunting. They devoted themselves. It was something they made a conscious decision was going to be part of their life. They devoted themselves to the teaching the fellowshipping with each other, breaking bread, sharing a meal, doing life together, and prayer. Now, because they devoted themselves to these things, look what happened. Everyone, not some of them, that's a powerful word. Guess what it means in the original language? This it, is deep right here because our English language is very limited. And I, I, all of you talk about, I just wish you would go deeper sometimes. I'm going to get real, real deep with you. That word, everyone... It means everyone. 100% of the people who partook in those four things, the teaching, the fellowship, 
the breaking of bread, the prayer. If there was a hundred of them, it meant a hundred of them, not 99 of them. Every one of them was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs that were performed by the apostles. All. Guess what that word all means? It's amazing. I don't understand the Bible. It's so complicated. It means all. The believers were together and had everything in common. That was not a church in 2018. That was probably not a Baptist church. That was probably not a Methodist church. Matter of fact, that was probably no church I've ever heard of where a group of people were together. They had everything in common. But why did they have everything in common? It goes back to what they were doing. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and praying for each other. They had all things in common. They sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone who had a need. This isn't about, don't get caught up in the selling of things. We're not asking you to go sell everything today. It was about they were willing to do whatever it took to meet the needs of the other people in the community. Why were they willing to do that? Because there was a bond there. There was a brotherhood there. You know my thoughts on brotherhood. I did a whole series called Brotherhood. We live in a day and time where people are craving brotherhood. They try to find it in gangs. They try to find it in clubs. They try to find it in niches. They try to do whatever they can. But they don't know anything about brotherhood. This was brotherhood. These people were so close and so tight that when they saw a need, it wasn't if we're going to do that. It was how are we going to go about doing that. Our brother's in need. How are we going to go do about that? Why? Because there was a bond. There was a connection there. Why was there a connection there? Because they made some decisions. They devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and all those things. It's amazing what happens when they do that. They sold property and possessions, and they gave to everyone as they had need. Every day, they continued to meet together. Good Lord, I can't get us to meet together one day a week. Every day they met together. Well, look what it says they did. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day they were doing life together. Every day they were building that bond. Every day they were forming community. Every day they were investing their lives in each other. They became family. A lot of people would disagree with this, but here's the reality. Family has nothing to do with blood. That can hurt your feelings. You don't get to choose your family. I, I tell people all the time, I, I, I don't think she listens to the podcast, but if she does, oh, well, she listens to it. I have a sister who's family. If my sister needed anything in the world from me, I would do it. If she called me at 3 o'clock in the morning and was in Mississippi with a flat tire, I'd go get her wife because she's my sister. But here's the deal. If she asked me to come over for dinner and hang out, I wouldn't do it. Because I don't like her. I don't like the person she is. I don't like what she stands for. I don't like her personality. And so just because she's blood doesn't mean i got to be around someone I don't like. This was family. They chose to do life with each other. They made the decision that they were going to form a bond. 
You can't force community. There's a lot of churches, and again, man, every church is their own priority, and I am not the pastor, and I don't answer for those churches, but a lot of churches do things called small groups, and I think small groups are powerful, and they're awesome. And they do small groups, but here's what they do. They take a bunch of people, they put them in a room, and they connect them together and say, now you guys go do life together. You cannot force community. It happens naturally. It happens at this church. I love it. I love being at the festival yesterday. 10,000 people there. And I love watching our people. And it wasn't that they were all in cliques. We like to call them. They weren't in cliques. Everybody was intermingling. But then they were drawn to the people that we've decided to do life with. This table over here that puts four tables together every week, no matter how many times we move it, and we ask them not to move the tables, they move them. But you know what? They're a community. They have found a connection with each other. Do I feel like they exclude me from their community? Absolutely not. They're not, not cliquish, but they're a community. It happened naturally. This group over here that has all these tables together, even though we separate them every single week, and people come in and move the tables every week, and you think they would catch on to the fact that we separate the tables and that we do it because the fire marshal doesn't want the tables together, but no, they're above the rules. They put the tables together every week. You know why? Because they're a community that is formed. There's power in community. I have a group of people that I do community with here. Does it mean I don't like everyone else? Absolutely not. It just means I have a group of people that I do community with. And when that community happens, a brotherhood happens, a bond happens, there's nothing more powerful and there's nothing more loving than natural community. And when natural community is happening, this is what happens. The world gets changed. Back to my book. Not my book, but back to the book. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, here's the last sentence that blows my mind. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can I get on a soapbox for a minute because I'm going to anyway? I get sick to my stomach because I pastor a church. I get, I get a lot of emails from church organizations. Always trying to sell something. And it always goes back to how to grow your church. Let us show you how to double your attendance in 30 days. And let us show you how to break the thousand barriers. I get it, been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. This is how you grow a church. You do what they did in the Bible. You do life with other people. You form community with other people. The Bible said it was not good for man to be alone. We have a craving inside of us to be part of a community of people. People say, I'm a loner. You're not a loner. I say this all the time. I'm a broken record. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Anybody who says, I just like being alone, is a liar. If you're one of those people that say that, I love you, God bless you, you're lying. You might be lying to yourself. You might not realize you're lying. We were not created to do life alone. We were created to do life in community with other people. And when we do life in community with other people... We literally change the world. The Lord added to their number daily such as should be saved. They devoted themselves to the teaching. 
They made a conscious decision that this is important. And when they made that decision and they did life with people in biblical community, many signs were done and many wonders were done. And and awesome things happened and people were saved and miracles happened and people joined the church every day because they saw something in it. They're like, I want that. If you skip over to Acts chapter 4, that you'll find out that the Bible says that nobody had need. Why? Because they were together. Nobody had need. Why? Because the community stepped up and met the needs. This morning, my wife gets up. We've got a thing going on in our house this afternoon. She turns on the oven. The lights in the house flicker, and our oven, which someone in our church bought us, so it's less than two years old, brand new, gives up the ghost. We got family coming over this afternoon. She's freaking out. One phone call, 20 minutes later, someone from our community is there and gets the thing back working. They didn't say, I'll get there later. They didn't complain about coming. They didn't say, oh, God, you always need something. Because we do if it comes to fixing things. They were there. Why? Because that's what community does. This morning, daughter has to be somewhere at 10. Church starts at 10. Blah, 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 craziness. Community comes on. Can I get her there? Can I do this? Yesterday, craziness in our life. I put on festivals. You can imagine it's crazy. Over and over. I can't tell you how many people in our community are like, what can we do to help? What can we do this? Can we help you here? Can we help you there? People took entire days out to come volunteer. I hate that word volunteer. They didn't volunteer. They just came to help out friends. We would do the same thing. Now, on the other hand, I'm glad they don't do festivals where i got to do the same thing. But we would do it. That's power in community. Every day they met together. Every day they devoted themselves. And the world was literally changed. Because they built community around what Jesus had done. The fellowship, the commitment, the loving nature of the first century believers was amazing. Now here's my question. Is what we read look at all like your life? Do you have a community you do people with? (laughs) Do you have community you do life with? Long day yesterday. Long day. I got up this morning. I wrote this sermon on Monday. I guess and I said, I, I don't even remember what. Literally, I'm not even trying to be funny. I said, I don't even remember what the sermon's about this week. That just happens on festival weeks. You just got to deal with it like about four times a year. I got in and they were playing the Friends theme song. I was like, oh yeah, that's what it's about. Community. Thank God that Phil does songs like that. Do you have a group of people in your life that do life together? That are meeting needs? that are laughing together and crying together? Do you have a group of people in your life that you can genuinely just be you? That's hard for us. We're the pastor and the pastor's wife. We always got to be pastor and pastor's wife. It gets hard. But in our life, we start to develop those people. Yeah, I don't like to open up someone. I I don't want to get hurt. Guess what? You do community with people, you're going to have an a-hole come along every now and then and burn you. You can accept it. 
Jesus had 12 people he did communion with, one of them betrayed him to the point that he died. So I, I always tell people, you can count on one in 12. But what about those 11? Why would you miss out on those 11 because of that one? But it hurts when the one does it. Yeah, I get it. Been there, done that. Got scars all over. But man, when those 11 are rallied around you and they're lifting you up and they're encouraging you and you're doing life and you're breaking bread and you pull in, this, I call it the parking lot test, you see their cars and it makes you smile. It makes you forget that one that screwed you over. One in 12, that's less than 10%. That's right around 6 point something percent. You're going to allow 6.7% of the people to eliminate you from enjoying the 90% of the people? That's miserable. And you're missing out on one of the most powerful things in the world, biblical community. It's powerful to be in community. And here's the deal. We live in a day and time where community is going away. It's almost non-existent. I read a book one time, and I, I tried everything I could do this week to find this book. I looked on Amazon where I could give you the name of the book. I could not find I cannot remember, but it just stuck out to me, and it was about community. And it was about how we live in a day and time where community has eroded away. And the author in the book had done a study on why community, and it was amazing, and this was not a biblical book, it was just practical reasons why community had that. You know what he said? The number one reason, based on his study, that community was no longer like it used to be. Number one, anybody want to guess? Trust? Oh, y'all are going way deep. Anybody else? Internet? Anybody else? How about this? The number one reason, based on his exhaustive study, of why community had went away. Home air conditioners. Back in the day, when Doug Knight was a kid, <laughs> and Tom Hunt was a kid, homes didn't have air conditions in them. So you know what you did every evening? You went out on the front porch, you sat on the front porch with the cool breeze. Guess what your neighbors did? They went outside, and they sat on the front porch, feel the cool breeze. Hey, John. Hey, Sherry. I don't know where these names are coming from. Hey, Jim, Bob, whatever they are in Canton, I don't know. Hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. And the kids would play in the front yard, and they do life together. How was work today? It's awesome. Man, what's been going on with the kids? They're getting big. Then air conditioning happened. We're like, screw the front porch. <laughs> Anybody got an idea of what, based on his study, the number two thing was? TV? It's good. How about this? The invention of the attached garage. Back in the day, apparently, when Doug Knight was a kid, and Tom Hunt was a kid, garages were not attached to the house. You would pull into the garage, you would park your car. 
You would then have to walk outside of the garage, outside. This is mind-boggling to me. Never heard of such a thing. To get into your house. Guess what you would do when you would walk outside and into your house? Your neighbor would be doing the same thing. So what would happen is they sit at the street. You would see all these men when it was time to just out there talking. How was work today? How was this? It was only men because the women were in the kitchen cooking. I'm just kidding. Total joke if you're a first-time guest. Totally kidding. To- I'm totally kidding, I promise. All the men are like, I don't know if I say amen or not, but that's good preaching. Preach it, Gary. <laughs> then guess what he said the number three thing was? Which is funny because my wife and I are talking about getting one. People started fencing in their backyards. People didn't want privacy. The kids ran through all the backyards, and you didn't know where they were. They were down at the neighbor's house, five houses down, but it was okay because you look out in the back. Then we started wanting to build our fortresses and putting our fences up. So now we're in the house with the air conditioning. We pull in the garage. We shut it. We walk into the house to the kitchen. We walk in the backyard if we want a grill. <laughs> got a fence up. I ain't got to talk to that neighbor I hate. That's got a limo and inflatables. Blares this music at all hours. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking about my, my neighbor. I'm sorry. Sorry. Flashback there. <laughs> and then he said, guess what happened? This amazing thing was invented called the answering machine. Now I don't even got to answer the phone. They can, oh, I ain't on that person back. I ain't calling Linda back. You know she's crazy down there. She's going to gossip. Before I had, to, I had to guess if it was Linda. Might be Jimmy. I don't know who it is. I got to answer the phone. Crap, it's Linda. Well, I got to talk to Linda now. Community happened. And now we live in a day and time. We don't even got to go to the grocery store and shop. You can get online, order your groceries, and a lot of places they'll deliver them to you. But even in Canton, Georgia, up here in the hills, you can order online, pull up to the curb, and they'll bring it out to you. I read an article the other day. Sherry, you might find this interesting. I've tried to find the article I actually sent to you. I guess grocery stores were in decline, which I don't understand because I think people got to eat. It was, it was about Kroger. And it said, what do they call that thing where you online shop? Click list. It was, why click list might save Kroger? And it was talking about how rapidly insane by the month this click list is growing. You go online, you order your food. Tell them what time you'll be there. Pull them. So now, I don't even got to run into you at the grocery store. <laughs> don't lie, because you know how it is. You put out, you see them. I, you, you're, now you're calculating. If I go down this aisle at this time, they're going to be going down the aisle at this time. How do I do that and not run in it? How many times do you go to the grocery store? I'll be back in five minutes. And I'm like, where are you? Sorry. I ran to so-and-so at the grocery store and so-and-so, and I went to high school with this girl. I'm like, she's got 20 babies now. We're just talking. I'm like, I'm, like, well, I'm hungry. Woman kitchen. What? Pa-? Again, kidding. Now, here's how we let people know we're watching them and we're doing life with them. We don't even read it. We just go down the thing and click like, double-click on Instagram, they know I like them. I hit like on their comment. Christine said, you see what so-and-so put on Facebook? I'm like, uh-uh. 
She goes, you hit like on it. How did you not see it? I was like, oh, I don't read that. I scroll and hit like. Just let them know, you know. She's like, she just found out her husband was cheating. Her kids got cancer, and they're about to go bankrupt. She wrote on Facebook, and you hit like. I'm like, oh, I didn't read it. We've moved away from community. How many of you have teenage kids? My teenage kids don't even want to hang out with their friends. But if you ask them, why don't you want to hang out with your friends? That's what they'll tell you. I hung out with them all day. You didn't leave your bed. Yeah, but we were on Snapchat all day. Oh, God forbid you meet someone in person to hang out with them and talk and do stuff. We're just going to snap all day. That's how I knew I was getting old. When I, don't, I love social media. I don't understand Snapchat. You know, I try to send naked pictures to Christine. I post them to the public site. I, mean, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> I'm kidding. And then, like now, we're so fake, we can't even call somebody and say, hey, you want to do lunch? We send them a text. Knowing that, we're going to be like, sure, sounds good, and we're never going to do it. Hey, let's do lunch sometime. That's like the thing to let them know, hey, I still think about you and care. Let's do lunch. And you're hoping they'll say, hey, hey, about tomorrow. You don't want them to answer and say, let's do lunch. You're just being nice. That's the best way to I bet I told 30 people, man, let's hook up soon. I didn't want to hook up with those people. I ain't seen them in 10 years. Like my biggest fear is going to be like, hey, maybe let's, let's do it tomorrow. We've moved away from community. We've moved away from doing life with others. And we're no longer seeing those added to the church daily. We're no longer seeing miracles happen. We're no longer seeing amazing things that leave us speechless. We have the ability to connect with people more than ever. And we're lonelier than we've ever been. Because we've moved away. And I'm not one of those old fuddy does that, man, believe me, those were the good old days. But there's just some things you can't improve on. And you cannot improve on biblical community. This is really how we should reword Acts chapter 2. If this was the Gary Lamb version that was accurate for today, based on where we are as a society, here's how Acts chapter 2 would read. The Christians were devoted to themselves. And occasionally they'd go to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there was no signs. There was no wonders performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together, and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run. They kept to themselves, and they were too rushed to enjoy one another or praise or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other. And they felt very empty and alone. And as a result, more people disliked them. And very few people were ever saved. That's hardcore. And sadly, it's so accurate. We've moved away from biblical community. You were not created to do life alone. God put something inside of you to do life with other people. And there's an opportunity out there that you're missing out on. 
there's an opportunity out there to be part of something so much better. You have the opportunity to be around a committed community of people. You have the opportunity to find people to break bread with. <laughs> to realize that God is so good. And that life is so amazing in community with others. See, we have a messed up society because we live in a society that highly values independence. Do we not? We're independent people. We're independent woman. I'm an independent man. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm financially independent. I'm relationally independent. I don't need you. I don't want, make no mistake about it, I don't need you. Cool. And I get it. The problem, though, to be a follower of Jesus is the direct opposite of being independent. We're to be dependent. We're to be dependent on the power of God in our lives, the goodness of God in our lives. You can't be a follower of Jesus and be independent. My life, my rules. Mm -mm. Not live a Christ-filled life. And also... You need to understand something. To be a follower of Christ, to live the life that you were created for, not only must you be dependent on Christ and God, the Bible makes it very clear that we're to be dependent on others. You don't make it through this life alone. You were created for community. You were created to do life with others. And when you're dependent on others... Your life is more fulfilled because all those weak spots in your life are probably the strengths of your community. And all your strengths are the weaknesses of that community. And together, you're a collective body that has the ability to change the world. Let me give you a couple of things we really ought to share life with. First thing I want to do is I want to encourage you to share life or share the love of Jesus with those at church. I'm going to get real old school right here, and I'm not the type of guy that normally does. I've never been one that browbeats people about coming to church. But there's something powerful about coming to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't have a church. That's like saying you're a football player, but you ain't got a football team. I'm a football player. What team do you play for? I don't play for one. Oh, are you a football player? I just said, I said, I am one. Okay. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 10. It says, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you have a community of people in your life? I'm not talking about a community of people that play softball together. I'm not talking about a community of people that go fishing together. I'm not talking about a community of people that have hobbies together, and all those things are great. But I'm talking, do you have a community of people in your life where the common goal of that community is to help other people? That's our job as the church. We come together to make a difference in our community. We come together for not what we can receive, 
from coming to church. But together, we're better. Gary Lamb, by himself, doesn't get to feed 2,000 people every Thanksgiving. But together, we do. By myself, I don't get to provide Christmas for what 20-something kids every year, or 20-something families every year, closer to 40 or 50 kids. Because nobody can have one kid anymore. You know. Can't pay your bills, go have seven of them. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? I did say it. And every Christmas, we provide Christmas for them without complaining as a community. I can't provide 2,500 book bags every year full of school supplies. But as a community, we can. I can't feed hundreds of people every month. But as a community, we can. I can't provide a homeless shelter for the homeless to come in. But as a community, we can. There's something powerful when you're part of a church. But to be part of a church, you got to be at church. One of the biggest challenges in our society and that churches are facing all over is that we've given up meeting together. They say the average churchgoer attends church once a month. They say if you want to know the true attendance of your church, take a Sunday morning attendance, times it by four, and that's your average attendance. You know how that makes sense? Here's why. That's why every Easter... We spend zero dollars on advertising. We do nothing, and the place is packed out. You can't find a seat. But do you ever notice that every Easter, we're standing room only, and the next Sunday is one of our lowest Sundays of the year? It's because all of the once-a-monthers came on the same Sunday. On a normal month, they spread it out over the four weeks. We'll go from 500 people in a service to 100 the next week. Because the average person attends church once a month. One hour. I don't care if you've got the best teacher in the world. You can have Charles Stanley, who I think is one of the most phenomenal Bible teachers in the world. If all you get is one hour a week, there's nothing I can do for you. How can you spend more time every day on social media? Mm. Then you do a month going to church. And yet, here's what they'll say. I just don't feel connected there. I don't fit in there. I just don't know anybody there. I'm sorry that you show up at 10.01 and church starts at 10 o'clock. You're the first one out the door. You come once a month and nobody knows you. Bless your selfish heart. I can't believe you're saying that. I'm sorry that you don't like to hear the truth. The Bible says, can you put that verse back up, Xander? Hebrews 10.25, please. It says, don't give up meeting together, as some of them have to do it. But then look what it says while we meet together. We meet together just to encourage one another. I couldn't get through the week without this. It's like my pit stop. Fill me up. I, I need breaks throughout the year, and I take Sundays off. Every time I take a Sunday off, I get up that next minute, I'm like, I'm ready to preach. I'm glad I got a break, but I'm ready to get back at it. I don't feel right when I miss church. I feel off. I love that, because Kylie Blankenship has gotten this habit. Kylie's one of my best friends. Where is Kylie? Why is he on the front row? Is he outside smoking or something? Kylie has gotten this habit when he don't play drums, he don't come to church. 
But then he posts on Facebook every single time he misses. Not having a good week. Miss church. Get your butt to church then. <laughs> Dang, you're wearing red shoes. You already want to be me. Get to church. <laughs> now here's what people tell me. Hey, I'll catch it on podcast. Thank God for technology and podcast is amazing. Hey, I'll do, people always say, when are we going to do church online? We're not, because your lazy butts would never come. But I got to hear the word. Awesome, you got to hear the word. That's awesome. But you missed out on community. I tried to figure out the best way to illustrate this. This is the only thing I came up with. Just listening to the sermon and missing church would be like this. Hey, baby, I want to have a family movie night. We're all going to watch the new movie that's out on Netflix. Okay, baby. Where do you want to watch it at? Well, everybody can watch it where they want to. You and me, we'll watch it in the bedroom. Emily and Luke, they can watch it in the living room. Ash and Avery, man, they both got iPads. They can watch it on their iPads. And here's the deal. At 7 o'clock, we're all going to start watching this movie. But they can watch it wherever they want to in the house. And then they, would they have seen the movie? Yeah. But they'd have missed out on the memories in the community of family night. They'd have missed out on me eating all the M&Ms out of their popcorn. <laughs> They'd have missed out on us laughing at the certain scenes together. You can go listen to the podcast, and I get sometimes life happens and you've got to do it. I understand that. But you miss out on so much if all you get is the sermon on Sunday. <laughs> Ten church once a month. I mean, if you go to pastor's meetings, this is like the number one thing they're talking about. What do we do with somebody who only gets an hour of God's word and we wonder why they're not growing? I don't think it's even about growing. I think it's just about community. And I get it, man. People are busy. I get it. I get it. We're busy. Here's what I've learned. You make time for what's important. We're busy. We have four children. This was an unbusy weekend for us. We had a ball game. We had a kid that had to be at work two days. Had a barbecue competition on Friday. A festival yesterday. We got family coming over today. The oven went out today. This is a kind of a light weekend for us. And I don't say this, number, but you know what's a priority? House of God. Kids are over there serving. My kids are over there learning. My wife's on the front row rolling her eyes at my stories. Why? Because it's a priority to us. Everybody was shocked. You're preaching today? Yeah, I'm preaching today. Why? Because this is what I feel called to do. Just because I had to work yesterday, all, I've worked the last three days, whatever. I'm preaching today. It might not make any sense, and I ramble a lot because I'm tired. I'm preaching today. We look for reasons to laugh. End of the day, community is not important to us. But we're missing something. And I'm not getting on to you guys. You guys are here. I'm just saying. You miss out. And I get, man, I've got some Sundays coming off here soon. I just need some time to get away. I tell people all the time, preaching doesn't wear me out. I can preach every Sunday. Studying every week. After about 20 weeks, man, my brain's like mashed potatoes. I need a week off from that. We're so lucky we got Grady here who pastored for years, does a lot better job than me anyway, and apparently he's eye candy to all the women around here that are single. So, man, I mean, it's, it's a win-win for us when he preaches. You know, 
He's going to be preaching some soon. I'm going to take off. You say, when's he preaching? I ain't telling you. Because you won't come. Man, presence matters. Presence matters. You just miss out on something when you're not together. So not only do I want to encourage you to do life where you're in the context of church, and I'm going to wrap this up right here, I want to encourage you to share the love of Jesus with the community of people. And here's what I mean by that. This is amazing. It's incredible. What, 150, 200, whatever's here today? It's amazing. But community can't happen at the level it needs to this large. Big community is amazing. Smaller communities, more amazing. You take the big group and you and it's not clicks. It's not this group don't like that group. It's just you find people you're connected to. It, that might be based on where you're at in life, stage of life. We got four kids. Chances are real, real good. An older couple that's raised all their kids and they're all gone probably don't want to hang out with us all the time when our four kids are around. It's just a different stage of life. You know what I mean? We're all in different places. It doesn't make one right and one wrong. You're drawn to people that have like interests, and you do life together. You make it a point to do life together. We have had this community in our life of people that have come together in the last, I don't know, year, I guess. We didn't seek out for it to happen. It just happens. And they text all the time and cut up all the time. Or they do. I don't. I don't want to deal with them. I'm working on the community thing. And you just do life with people. Can I tell you something? That's new to me. I was, I was the antisocial guy forever. She's not. And I've slowly learned to do life with people. And it's powerful. It, it's amazing when someone in that community has a success, how much joy I feel. And when someone in that group has a failure or something goes wrong, how much pain I feel. There's just power in a small group of people that you know are there for each other no matter what. Now, are you ready for me to get real real about my group of people? I love them. And they're amazing. But it's not a fantasy world. We get on each other's nerves sometimes. There's sometimes that, man, I need a break from them. Most of the time our gatherings are on Sundays after church. So I'm wore out on Sundays. My fuse is short on Sunday. And, I, you know, there's just times I don't want to talk with them. There's times someone come in like I'm not in the mood. That's just life. But at the end of the day, there are people. It's funny. We'll go off sometimes and hang out with some other people. And man, I love hanging out with other people. But then you, there's just no place like your people. You know what I mean? There's just power in that. We always come back together. Why? Because we do life together. Here's the amazing thing. This is what I think is so powerful about this. We never sat down and said, let's do life together. It just happened. Lisa, did you ever look at Rita and say, you know what we ought to do one day? Just do community together and just hang out and be biffles. It just happened, didn't it? You know? It just happened. Community just happens. And when it happens, there are bugs flying around on this stage. It's like a plague of locusts. 
It's beautiful. But you know how it happens? Because you devote yourselves to it. You make it something that's important to you. You know what that means? You might have to get out of your comfort zone every now and then and go hang out with a couple groups of people. I've hung out with different groups. I want to be so careful in how I word this. We've hung out with different groups of people that we love hanging out with. There was nothing wrong with the people in those groups. But just for whatever reason, that didn't become our community. Those people would take a bullet from me, I'd take a bullet from them, they'd do anything in the world for me. But you just know when your community happens. You'll bring other people in your community and be like, uh, you don't ever have the discussion that they ain't fitting in. Like, we never in our group decided Lynn doesn't fit in. We just knew she didn't fit in. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You just kind of know. That doesn't mean you're ugly to the other people. It's just community. Jesus had thousands of people around him all the time, but he did life with 12. That was his community. I would encourage you to find a community of people. You might have to jump around in some communities. But man, when you find it, it's like that perfect fit in glove. It's life-changing. They broke bread in their homes. They were together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to the number daily. If we want to see this church be what it can be, community's got to happen on a large scale, but community's got to go deeper on a small scale. I love that there's community that happens all over this. Again, go to an event, like outside the church. I saw it yesterday. I watched it all day yesterday. Look at those people doing communion together. Look at those people doing communion together. Look at those people that I know doing communion together. I saw the different communities coming together. and Again, it's not a competition, not a gang war. But I'd watch them come together for a few minutes, and they'd go back, and they were doing life living, and they were laughing and cutting up and having a great time. And it was incredible. Because community is amazing. We know why Jesus came to the earth. But as you study it more, now you'll see how he came to the earth. Breaking bread with other people. Eating and drinking. Find somebody to do community with. It'll change your life.